Welcome to the Digital Edge with Sharon Nelson and Jim Calloway. Your hosts, both legal technologists, authors, and lecturers, invite industry professionals to discuss a new topic related to lawyers and technology. You're listening to Legal Talk Network. Welcome to the 112th edition of the Digital Edge Lawyers and Technology. We're glad to have you with us. I'm Sharon Nelson, president of Sensei Enterprises. And I'm Jim Calloway, director of the Oklahoma Bar Association's Management Assistance Program. Today, our topic is running with the machines, artificial intelligence in the practice of law. Before we get started, we'd like to thank our sponsors. Thanks to our sponsor, Clio. Clio's cloud-based practice management software makes it easy to manage your law firm from intake to invoice. Try it for free at Clio.com. That's C-L-I-O dot com. Thank you to Answer One, a leading virtual receptionist and answering services provider for lawyers. You can find out more by giving them a call at 800 answer the number one or online at www.answerone.com. That's www.answerthenumberone.com. Thanks to our sponsor, Scorpion, which delivers award-winning law firm website design and online marketing programs to get you more cases. Scorpion has helped thousands of law firms, just like yours, attract new cases and grow their practices. For more information, visit scorpionlegal.com slash podcast. Thanks to ServeNow, a nationwide network of trusted pre-screened process servers. Work with the most professional process servers who have experience with high-volume serves, embrace technology, and understand the litigation process. Visit servenow.com to learn more. We are very pleased to have as our guest today, Mark Taminga. Even knowing that culture eats strategy for breakfast, Mark Taminga still signed on to be leader innovation initiatives at Galling WLG. He did it because it gives him, as a senior partner at Galling WLG, a platform from which to nudge his firm in the direction of rethinking how legal services and products are delivered. It also gives him a front row seat to the most interesting developments in law practice technology, rapidly evolving tools and technologies like artificial intelligence, social networking, or data analytics are fundamentally changing the law business. And Mark has determined that his firm will be a front runner in the judicious deployment of the better toolkit that is emergency. Oh yes, and in his day job, Mark practices law in the area of creditors' rights. Thanks for joining us today, Mark. Well, thanks for having me, Jim and Sharon. It's great to be here, and I hope we have a riveting conversation about a really interesting topic. <laughs> well, we'll count on you to make it riveting. Right. <laughs> and you usually do. <laughs> so most people are pretty much confused about artificial intelligence, especially lawyers. They really don't know what it is. So can you explain artificial intelligence in a way that hopefully our listeners can understand, those who are not familiar with it? Well, yeah, I can try, and because it's for me, the, the term is misleading and not helpful, uh, unless you actually look at the words themselves and say artificial intelligence. Um, we're not talking about general artificial intelligence, which is a technical term for human-level understanding. That's not what any of this is about. It's much, much more helpful to talk about augmented intelligence. And all the tools 
that are emerging right now, and some of which we'll talk about later in the podcast, are really about augmented intelligence, about running with the machines that Sharon and I like to talk about it. And a lot of it goes back to some very fundamental changes in the way we interact with digital machinery. And there's a really interesting book that Thomas Friedman just published called Thank You for Being Late. It's, it's a great title. But he really points out key developments that happened in 2006 and 2007. And if you reach back, and it's hard to imagine now, but in those two years, primarily 2007, and this is, this is really interesting if you think about it, the iPhone, Facebook, Twitter... Android, Kindle, and here are two that are really important, Amazon Web Services and a new approach to, to uh, parallel processing called Hadoop, all were released. They all came out at the same time. What they all have in common is just a manifestation of Moore's Law, that is that computing doubles in capability and, and uh, at a constant price every two years. And that is that um, the emergence, uh, you end up with these emerging, with these emergent properties like cloud computing suddenly becoming very available and Amazon Web Services led the way, critically important. Vast amounts of online data, which Hadoop was able to then wrestle into a manageable form, primarily led by Google. But then at the same time, you had uh, a completely transformational change in the way software was thrown at all of this, and that was the emergence of neural networks, learning programs, parallel processing, a whole bunch of different ways of talking about it. But all of these tools came together at the same time to suddenly allow the emergence of effectively learning programs. Without the Internet, none of it really works, so you need the cloud. And without the learning programs, it would just be nothing but unstructured vast amounts of data. Uh, you throw learning at the vast data that's sitting on the cloud, and suddenly you have a whole new thing, and that's the ability to start looking at that data more meaningfully. And you take a lot of cognitive science, and you apply that to the problem, and you have stuff that begins to look a little bit like smarter computers. And you have to then start thinking about it in terms of, if you think about artificial intelligence, it's the same as looking at other artificial things that human beings do, we fly. That doesn't mean we fly like birds. We fly in airplanes. And so artificial intelligence may not look anything like human intelligence. And as it sits right now, the augmented intelligence that we're seeing is truly organized around what the specialists call narrow or specialized AI. And that's not necessarily programmed specifically in the classic sense using either database technology or classic if-then programming. It's learning programming. These new software tools are trained. They learn. And so it's, it's actually a very important distinction. So, and, and with that comes a much better understanding of what you can do with those tools in that they need to be taught specific domains in very narrow areas. So we've had some breakthroughs in what artificially intelligence, augmented intelligence tools can do in the gaming space, for instance. Of course, there's Watson, but much more interesting is Go, right? The AlphaGo breakthroughs of last year were, were astonishing and a huge advance in the way computing could attack these extremely dense problems. But then even more interesting, in just the last month or so, is a computer that can beat anybody in poker. Now that is amazing, because now you're talking about a computer that can tell if its opponents are bluffing. 
that knows the, the statistical realities of the cards that have been dealt and what its own hand is like. This is a much more interesting approach to things. But that poker player computer is not going to be able to play checkers. And so you have these very narrow domains where these things are all brought together in, in very specific ways, taught with a great deal of effort to do um, a number of things that hitherto had always been done by humans, but they're still in the order of routine, re repeatable tasks. And so we'll talk a little bit more, I, I think, as this progresses about some of the implications for the legal profession, but it's not limited to the law business. You're seeing this in journalism, you're seeing it in a number of other areas which had been um, the domain previously of highly trained individuals, humans. Mark, most people by now have heard of Ross Intelligence, and, and we've even had podcasts about Ross before. Can you tell us your thoughts about Ross and what it does? Yeah, well, sure. Ross is one of the more prominent uh, early players in the uh, AI space. And let's use AI as an easy way of talking about it, as long as we all understand that what the artificial means. And in this case, we're really talking about uh, a new approach to research that uses IBM's Watson technology, which people remember from the Jeopardy days. But Watson is now used in, in the medical profession extensively for cancer diagnosis. It's used in translation research. It's, it's a whole bunch of other areas. And Andrew Arruda and his people at University of Toronto uh, had the insight to apply IBM's technology to the legal space, primarily in the area of research, and early on, primarily in the area of bankruptcy law. And so they've been able to make quite a bit of progress on allowing in very specific domains of law practice where certain research questions come up frequently. One of the other issues that now is bedeviling the law profession is that clients are no longer willing to train our young lawyers how to be good lawyers. And that's always been a time-honored practice in large law firms is you just get young lawyers to research problems. That job is, is no longer economically viable in a lot of circumstances. So the emergence of a tool like Ross, which allows those lawyers to ask natural language questions of the curated space, now that, and by curated I mean really uh, combed over by experts, and uh, the Ross computing environment has been trained in the specific domain of, of, say, bankruptcy law or trademarks or some other area, taxes and other environment rich for the, the mining here, where you can ask it natural language questions like, how can I get a discharge in bankruptcy for a student loan in Arizona? It's an example that's come up in the New York Times article recently. The answer turns out to be a three-part test, and you could do that research in classic research tools but you'd have to be familiar with Boolean logic and exclusions and all kinds of other highly specialized search techniques. This is a whole lot more direct from the question to the answer. Uh, there's a premium put on the natural cadence of the question itself, and then there's also a premium put on the relevancy of the answer. And you can, even after you've engaged Ross, you can train it to either do more like this or a little bit like, or a little bit less of that and really get to a point where as you and the tool work together, you actually get better, which is why it's so important to keep in mind the idea that this is augmented intelligence. It really is about the lawyer and these tools working together in ways that I think are highly beneficial. 
Well, another major player, I think most lawyers know of Ross, but another major player is Kira AI, which I know your law firm uses and which we're seeing more and more about online. Can you tell us how your firm uses it and what value it brings to your firm? Sure. Kira is one of our locally grown in uh, in Toronto again, and that's a slightly different branch where you are looking at the realm of documentary due diligence. I like the example that I hear frequently in this circle about, you know, you're buying a, uh, let's just say you're a real estate lawyer you want, and, and you're responsible for the, the sale of a, of a mall, the purchase of a mall, I should say. And you're going to have 250 leases that have to be reviewed. Historically, that would mean some poor person would have to read all of them because you're looking for the termination clauses, the expiry dates, the renewal clauses, the various things that are important in leases. You want to find the outliers. And you just don't know where those outliers lie. And that ground war through those documents is soul-destroying work. Where Kira <laughs> comes in, and, uh, and, 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 another, and, and it's pretty much direct competitors, Raven, R-A-V-N, is that they're able to take those documents. You train it on a subset, say five or six, and those documents, or ten, you know, an arbitrarily small number, but sufficient to circumscribe the domain, that would allow then, once you've gone through the training exercise, you throw the whole business at it, assuming they're all machine-readable. You just simply say, here, here are 250 leases. Uh, you know, a quarter second later, you get everything set out in spreadsheets. Here are all your termination clauses. Here are all your, your renewal clauses. Here is your net-net lease costs, those sorts of things. And it's all laid out. That is, and, and you can continue to iterate until you get to a solution that suits your purposes. The result is going to be more accurate than if a third-year associate had read all 250, because by the time he's read about eight of them, he just wants to die, or she just wants to die. It's just not a good idea. That used to be the only way to do it. But using these tools on the matter that we used them for here at Gowling, WLG, we had a significant client that had hundreds of, or thousands of documents, actually, that needed to be reviewed. But they were actually not alike. The nice thing about leases is every lease is kind of like every other lease. They have certain characteristics. This was a much more free-form documentary flow. It's still a contractual analysis problem. And so we bumped into a learning issue that hit us fairly quickly. Kira was great to work with us, and we were still able to make great use of it. But we also saw the limit of the tool, and that's that if it's a little off of its comfortable turf, it falls down really quickly. And that's just the nature of it at this stage of the game, because we're very, these are very early days. And so it's remarkable for what it does, as long as you understand what it does, and don't try to make it do things it's not meant to do, just like you're not going to be doing spreadsheets in Word. At least you shouldn't. I've watched lawyers try to do spreadsheets in Word, Mark. So. <laughs> it's awful, isn't it? It's just the worst. I mean, it just makes you want to cry. <laughs> yes, indeed, it does. <laughs> Mark, could you briefly tell us who are some of the other major players in AI and what their AI is used for? Well, I, I know you want me to give you legal names, but here they are. Amazon, Microsoft, Google, IBM, Facebook. Those are the big players in AI. I'll go into some, some specific legal players, but the reason you bring those people up right now is because that's where all the hard work is being done. They have the big data, Google. I mean, who who wouldn't have more data than Google? 
Amazon, look at how it's dealing with its and Facebook, IBM, Microsoft. They they sit on top of enormous universes of data, and so they are all scrambling to get at the learning tools and develop tool sets for release into the wild. And here's an interesting thing that's going on, and and Dan Katz has talked about this at the University of Chicago, where all of a sudden, and, and really over the last few months, they're giving this stuff away. So Google is giving away its learning tools and open sourcing them effectively. That has implications for the legal business, too, because it's going to democratize a lot of these tools. It's going to make them, uh, currently, um, you know, Raven, Kira, they're, they're all selling their services at subscription rates, and they're very expensive. That's going to change. And that's going to change Moore's law speed at computing speed, but probably faster, because the interesting thing about software is it's a Moore's law multiplier. You can go through examples in networking how software allowed multiplexing and nothing changed about the underlying hardware. It's just all of a sudden they just jammed more stuff in the in-between spaces. The same thing is going to be happening in artificial intelligence, where as these tools are simplified and the building kits are made more accessible, you're going to find a lot more of these tools infiltrating their way into the back offices of law firms in the business intelligence software they're going to be using. You already have people like Big Square and Iridium BI experimenting with artificial intelligence. They're the big players in the BI accounting space in law firms. But you've also, you know, you've got, obviously, Ross is using Watson, so IBM is all over that. But a lot of the other legal players in this space are either building their own tools or they're just pulling tools down from any one of these suppliers. And they're really then being the first to tilt them in the legal field. What isn't changing yet, though, is the amount of effort necessary to curate a space. So if you go back and talk to anybody the early days of Kira, um, they were talking about how they would be, you know, perhaps taking a couple of months to to work their way through a non-disclosure clause and get the system to recognize that. It took them way longer than that. They ultimately beat the problem, but it turned out to be a hard problem. That notion of teaching the machine is still reasonably tough in the software sense. So other players that people are going to find really useful in a legal context are, um, well, I mean, there's the, the well-known ones like Neotologic, which is really an expert system, knowledge automation, really. And it doesn't use, it really isn't a machine learning system because if you, there are really two main approaches. You can either build the logic up meticulously and then have it answer questions as if it's a pinball making its way down to the answer. And that's what Neotologic does, those are carefully constructed logical structures. They end up being kind of brittle because with the world change, you've got to change the entire logical structure. And then you have the inferential kind of artificial intelligence. We just throw a whole bunch of stuff at it, see what the software makes of it, and out of that you you can infer some documents. Or you could say, here are, I mean, notionally, here are 70 versions of this canonical contract. Make me a 71st version of it. Nobody purports to do that yet, but that's, that's kind of a goal that other people have. You also see a lot of it being used in certainly e-discovery. More and more, you've got you know catalysts and and uh, the relativity recommend being able to deduplicate certain kinds of communications, finding relevance in documents, and that all speaks to 
another aspect of the machine learning side, and that's natural language understanding. Not just natural language parsing, but actually getting it in the same way that Watson was able to get the Jeopardy questions. And so that machine learning side where it actually is beginning to do the natural language work has tremendous implications for the legal profession, given how natural language intense we are. I mean, it's a language profession. You get into prediction software like Lex Machina and some of the other tools. Premonition is, an, is a good example. Um, and then in the legal research field, everybody's jumping on. I mean, no one's going to let Ross get away with just being the only game in town. So I mentioned Raven, and um, there's also uh, Blue Jay Legal now, another Toronto company that's uh, focusing on the tax space. And, and I kind of wondered why tax would take as long as it did, because it's such a uh, an arcane subject matter, but it's just vast. It seems to me it'd be ripe for this kind of treatment. So now we're starting to see it. Blue Jay Legal. Um, and then the big players are starting to pile on because they've got money. Thomson Reuters, Bloomberg, LexisNexis. Expect interesting things from them because this is all moving at incredible speed. Before we move on to our next segment, let's take a quick commercial break. Not getting enough cases from the internet? The kind of cases you want? Scorpion can help. Over the last 15 years, Scorpion has helped thousands of law firms just like yours attract new cases and grow their practices. During this time, Scorpion has won over 100 awards for its law firm website design and online marketing success. Join the thousands of law firms which partner with Scorpion and start getting more cases today. For more information, visit scorpionlegal.com forward slash podcast. Is your firm experiencing missed calls, empty voicemail boxes, and potential clients you'll never hear from again? Enter AnswerOne Virtual Receptionists. They're more than just an answering service. AnswerOne is available 24-7. They can even schedule appointments, respond to emails, integrate with Clio, and much more. AnswerOne helps make sure your clients have the experience they deserve. Give them a call at 1-800-ANSWER-1 or visit them at answerone.com forward slash podcast for a special offer. Welcome back to the Digital Edge on the Legal Talk Network. Today, our subject is Running with the Machines, Artificial Intelligence in the Practice of Law. Our guest is Mark Tominga, a senior partner and leader of innovation initiatives at Gowling WLG. Mark, our friend Ed Walters, the CEO of FastCase, says that artificial intelligence today is about 5% reality and 95% hype. Ed doesn't mind taking a stand, as you know. So tell me if you agree with his percentages and certainly why you think there's so much hype. Well, I agree with his percentages and I go, whoa, holy crap, because it's all moving with Moore's Law speed. So if it's 5% reality and 95% hype, then I think we all have reason to pay attention because next year is going to be 10 and the year after 20 and the year after that 40, and then we're, then we're there. So there is a lot of nonsense talked about it, but it is a real con- – it, it, augmented intelligence is, is a very real adjunct to legal practice, and it's, it's, it's coming for all of us. The chief fear of most lawyers is that AI will take some of their jobs – what would you tell these lawyers? They're right. <laughs> that's, 
there's no way around that. I mean, um, when you look at this, there's the concept of technological unemployment that I think is a very real social problem. This is just my personal opinion. But from what I'm seeing, there are large parts of the legal practice that will be just fine, thank you very much, for any meaningful career that's now in play. You can read Richard Susskin, and you'll know that most of the professions are doomed, even even the pastoral possession, or even medical. And so it's very useful to to think about it now. And there are all kinds of ways to accommodate what's happening. And the only thing you really, your real responsibility at this point is to prepare for the reality of some very significant software and software-enabled changes to legal practice. Our friend Peter Krakauer just wrote a great article called I'm a Luddite and You Should Be Too, but he gets into it. And he, he just, his basic advice is, is to step up, which is... Um, well, he's actually laid it out in five points. It's step up, step aside, step in, step narrowly, or step forward. Each of those is a way of accommodating the inevitability of augmented intelligence to legal practice. To step up is simply give big-picture advice and, and uh, on how to implement the augmented intelligence tools, show leadership. Stepping aside, of course, is to just do work that's not amenable to computing, which would be involved sympathizing, counseling, getting involved in the intimate interactions that social beings have. If you're going to step in, that's doing the actual AI training where you show how it can be used in legal practice. Step narrowly is to do something that is really a job that no one else can do, where you are actually a self-taught expert. Finally, step forward is uh, is to create the actual AI systems themselves. Those would be data scientists that are legally trained. You got to find a slot in there, or you're going to be you're going to be in trouble. Well, I certainly agree with that. And my own prediction has been that AI will accelerate rapidly in the coming decade. Do you agree with that? And what kind of developments do you foresee over the next decade? Well, I do, and of course, of course, it will. It's again subject to all the, all of the other technological drivers that are a self-reinforcing virtuous circle. And it will result in, in unimaginable, um, true artificial intelligence. And by that, I mean machines that are no longer necessarily bound by a given narrow domain. I, I can play Go. That's it. I can't play checkers. You'll have a machine that can play any kind of game and beat you at it. You'll also have machines that fully understand the tax rules. Uh, I still think that there's always going to be a role for the trusted advisor, and uh, but it's going to be more artisanal in a, in its own strange, twisted way. And by that, I mean people still want to deal with other people on so many things. That could change because 10 years is a long time from now. But I think that the AI we're seeing right now is rudimentary at best. How it changes over the course of the next two or three years, it probably will still be rudimentary. Ten years from now, it'll be very, very sophisticated. Mark, there are a lot of ethical concerns about artificial intelligence. Can you talk about some of them and how you think they will be addressed? Yeah, I I think that there will be, as we become more reliant on these tools, uh, there will come a time when, and already we see this in some of the decision-making software is, or or sort of decision-suggesting software is an inability to determine how a machine learning program arrived at its result. So this notion of a decision audit is now something of great concern to a lot of people, uh, particularly if the judiciary becomes enamored of artificial intelligence and begins to rely on it more. Unless you're able to 
really map out how a given decision from an artificial intelligence or augmented intelligence came to be, you don't really have the full confidence that you have with most human decisions. We've culturally adapted to those. Yes, they can be wrong, but it's the same thing with, with autonomous driving. If a human being gets into an accident, it's an accident. If an autonomously driven car gets into an accident, it's national news. So we're not making our way quickly enough to the social changes that would allow us to responsibly adapt to these new technologies. Before we move on to our next segment, let's take a quick commercial break. Looking for a process server you can trust? ServeNow.com is a nationwide network of local pre-screened process servers. ServeNow works with the most professional process servers in the country. Connect your firm with process servers who embrace technology, have experience with high-volume serves, and understand the litigation process and the rules of properly effectuating service. Find a pre-screened process server today. Visit ServeNow.com. Imagine what you could do with eight extra hours per week. That's how much time legal professionals save with Clio, the world's leading practice management software. With intuitive time tracking, billing, and matter management, Clio streamlines everything you do to run your practice, from intake to invoice. Try it for free at Clio.com. That's C-L-I-O.com. Welcome back to the Digital Edge on the Legal Talk Network. Today, our subject is Running with the Machines, Artificial Intelligence in the Practice of Law. Our guest is Mark Dominga, a senior partner and leader of innovation initiatives at Gowling WLG. Mark, I understand that you and Sharon are the co-chairs of the Futures Conference of the College of Law Practice Management slated for October. Can you tell us a little bit about the conference and let our listeners know how they can register for the conference? Oh, definitely. Sharon and I are co-chairing the Futures Conference, which will be devoted this year to artificial intelligence. Uh, It'll be running with the machines, and it will definitely take a look at the implications of these emerging technologies in both legal practice, but also for the legal function within corporate law departments. And we brought together a pretty stellar panel of the world's leading thinkers in artificial intelligence, expert systems, augmented intelligence tools. We'll be going through some practical examples and really try to provide attendees with, with, with a reality check, number one, in terms of where all of this technology is at, how it might have implications, real implications, practical implications for legal practice and for servicing clients and how clients might want to interact better with their lawyers but it'll also bring together a group of really high-level attendees who are contributing to the conversation, and we find it a very collaborative and fruitful meeting to be had. And how, how will they register, Mark? To register for the Futures Conference called Running with the Machines, Artificial Intelligence and Law Practice, Go to the College of Law Practice Management website, which is collegeoflpm.org, and the actual conference itself is on October 26 and 27 in Atlanta. So it'll be a Thursday and a Friday in Atlanta, beautiful time of year to head out to Georgia, eat some peaches. 
<laughs> Absolutely. Well, everybody needs to uh, to think about coming. It's going to be a great conference, and it was just such a pleasure to have you on the show today, Mark, and to hear your thoughts on artificial intelligence. You and I, in our daily exchanges, both by phone and by email, probably have almost heard enough of the topic for a while. But we have actually, we both are kind of. I think we're both inspired by it, and we look forward to discussing many of the changes that will impact the practice of law in the future with so many experts present. That will be wonderful. And thank you for sharing your expertise with us, which is pretty cool. My pleasure. And in the six months or so that we've been organizing this conference, the entire field has shifted. So Sharon and I are on on a volcano here (laughs) watching an amazing set of, of developments unfold before us. But it's a heck of a ride, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. sure. Well, thank you so much for being our guest today, Mark. My pleasure. And it was great to be able to share some of these thoughts. And that does it for this edition of the Digital Edge Lawyers and Technology. And remember, you can subscribe to all the editions of this podcast at LegalTalkNetwork.com or on iTunes. And if you enjoyed our podcast, please rate us on iTunes. Thanks for joining us. Goodbye, Miss Sharon. Happy trails, cowboy. Thanks for listening to The Digital Edge, produced by the broadcast professionals at Legal Talk Network. Join Sharon Nelson and Jim Calloway for their next podcast covering the latest topic related to lawyers and technology. Subscribe to the RSS feed on LegalTalkNetwork.com or in iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.